being a brand that I think can really be a go-to for pushing the whole industry forward when it comes to more sustainable food options for all, truly for all, and, and making it more accessible. Caitlin Magentel is the founder and food waste warrior behind Pulp Pantry, a sustainable snack brand building the next generation of CPG made better for people and the planet. Pulp Pantry's flagship product is a line of veggie chips reinvented, made from nearly 50% upcycled ingredients, providing nearly a full day's serving of fiber in each bag. Leveraging a unique sourcing model in 2020, Pulp Pantry upcycled 50,000 pounds of fresh vegetables that would have otherwise gone to waste. Pulp Pantry is helping adults and kids alike make better value-aligned food choices without giving up the snacks they love. Pulp Pantry launched an online retailers, including Thrive Market, as well as West Coast retailers, including Whole Foods Market and Target. All right. We are here today on the Gravity Podcast with Caitlin Magentale. And I am happy to have you on and get to know you and hear more about your story. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So um, as we talked, we like to start at the very beginning and hear your full journey, starting with your kind of earliest memories and, and what you can share with us uh, related to your childhood and your family upbringing and where you're from and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up north of Chicago in a few different areas, but mainly it's a town called Winnetka. Uh, it's a super beautiful place and um, went to you know the public school system over there. We're lucky because not all parts of Chicago have, have great schooling. And I'm sure so many uh, people are familiar with a lot of the stories they've, they've heard in the news about um, Chicago Public District, but um, grew up and went to actually a, a big school called New Trier. And that, this was my my high school. It was about a thousand kids per class. And, you know, I think growing up in Winneka was very like, it was a very sheltered environment for sure. It was predominantly white, not, not a lot of uh, diversity, but really, you know, something that at least kind of set me on the path I am today, on today was actually um, right before high school. And I, I wanted to bring up my high school because it, it does kind of bring me to, I think, where, where I've landed um, in, in Los Angeles today and, and kind of a certain fearlessness, I guess, about um, you know, wanting to try bigger and better and, and kind of keep on climbing on and pushing on. Um, but in eighth grade, I actually, so you know, I went to a woman in science day and it was something that was offered through our school. I, I had kind of had this liking towards science as a career. And um, in this woman in science program, we went to Argonne National Laboratories, which is essentially one of the biggest national laboratories just um, north in Illinois of, of where I had lived. And joined a bunch of, you know, basically female scientists at Argonne National Laboratories where they talked really about the issues that they uh, saw in the science field. And with a lack of diversity, essentially, and a lack of kind of female, I guess, female leaders in science. And uh, around the same time, I had gone with my mom, who was ultimately super supportive. Of course, my, my parents were, were both always very concerned with career. That was always their top, you know, top consideration, as, as many parents are. Um, they wanted me to go to a good school. They wanted me to get good grades. I was like, you know, kind of on that, um, I would say, linear path in a way. 
but she was super supportive of the fact that science had been kind of an interest area I'd really taken to. I think, you know, both of them just wanted to support whatever they saw their kids taking a liking to and really push them that, that extra mile to, to get a little bit more deeper and deeply involved. So let's take me to Inconvenient Truth, the famous Al Gore documentary. And it was through that documentary. And I kind of laugh when I say, I think a lot of people, you know, remember when Inconvenient Truth came out and kind of the fear, fear tactics used in it. But I remember coming out of that movie and being like, this is the thing I want to dedicate my life to. I want to dedicate my life to communicating climate science with the general public because I felt like there was this, you know, this urgency to it, of course, the climate crisis and learning more about um, really what was happening with our climate was just something that got me really, got me really invested. But I also noticed that a lot of my peers um, weren't necessarily aware of the issue or, or talking about it. And this was, you know, back, I graduated from high school in 2011. So this is, you know, this is in the earlier 2000s. And yeah, I think, you know, from that really few like, pivotal moments going into high school, I was able to focus most of my energy on some of those science-based classes. And I also started um, actually volunteering at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. Uh, and that was really, honestly, just kind of what set me on the path of, of where I am today. But I know we didn't get too much into family dynamics or any of that. So if there's any other questions you have. Um, in that realm, happy to answer them. Um, but at least, you know, as it relates to really where I feel sitting, sitting with you today, like where I feel that, that kind of chain of um, events came from, it really stems from some of those, those key moments early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, that is definitely important for us to dive into. And, and I do want to back up, you know, a little bit further and, and kind of understand you know what what you remember you know prior prior to kind of the interest in science was there was there something that um kind of happened before that was there some sort mm. of um you know what were you like as a kid or, or you mentioned a little bit mm. about your your parents and and you know their focus on schooling and and you know grades and careers and you know that kind of stuff tell me a little bit more of you know what was it like as a kid you know what was the kind of family dynamic did you have siblings mm-hmm. you know, what was all of that like i i find it to be very interesting just kind of to really you know understand you know kind of how this person uh really emerges you know and and, and really hearing it from the beginning yeah i'm the oldest child so that definitely comes with, I think, a few personality traits that you pick up. Um, my my sister is two years younger than me, and I have a younger brother who's five years younger than me. Um, we were all really close. I actually remember, you know, my sister and I, I mean, we shared a room until we were, you know, going into probably seventh grade, something something like that. We were, we always shared a room and, um, and through that process, I mean, you know, just developed really similar it was, it was just, it's the best. It's, you're having, you have the best friend while you're, while you're growing up, but actually we were kind of the, the two evil. I mean, I was always the, a really sweet kid and um, definitely was not, you know, a troublemaker by any means. I think, um, you know, no one, no one from my family necessarily was until my, until my brother came along. <laughs> to my brother, um, the, the funny thing about him is, you know, when he was growing up, we were, my sister and I were always, of course, you know, we were doing, I think what a lot of, a lot of kids kind of, kind of do in that age, which is playing with dolls and, and trying to 
you know, fit some like girly molds, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera playing all the time. And I remember when my brother came along, it really threw, it threw things for a, for a curve, of course, because here comes this, um, this kid who wants to, who wants to play with his older sisters. And so that's actually one of the things like family dynamic wise, that's always been really funny is, is truly just seeing how, how much of a bully little girls can become. Because I think I look back on that day and I'm like, wow, there is a side of me that was kind of this tyrant, like, you know, really taking on the, the older kid um, personality and, and kind of bossiness. <laughs> and and uh, I know when, when, whenever he would try to join us, we were always, we were always, um, we were known for kind of just being pretty ruthless with like, dressing him up in a dress and makeup and <laughs> things like that. So we had, we had a lot of, we were, we were a little mischievous with, with him, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing because like as we, as we've grown older and even in high school, you know, um, I think as we all went through our own phases of like the teenage years and, and whatnot, we did grow apart a lot and not spend as much time together. Of course, I think that's kind of natural and you're more invested in what are your friends up to, you're wanting to like fit in with your, you know, your crowd and family becomes kind of the back burner priority. But, you know, my, my dad is pretty Catholic and we always had that kind of family. He's, he's very Catholic and he's also very Italian. And um, he grew up in Pennsylvania, a small town in Pennsylvania. My mom grew up kind of all over her, her dad was in the Navy. So she traveled a lot and moved around from Texas, Indiana, back to Michigan, um, where I think she spent most of her, her childhood. But um, it's funny because, you know, my dad coming from this like very Italian, very Catholic family, I remember whenever we would go back to Pennsylvania, you would see how close-knit the family was forever. Like the grandpa still lived with the aunts still lived with the, you know, uh, you know, some of the other relatives in this house that they had built like back in, you know, who knows when. And, um, and they always were you know, very church oriented, very like family meal oriented. And so he tells us stories of, of that kind of upbringing and he, he did bring that back into our household. But I think, um, you know, as every generation moves along, like we get almost farther and farther from that, it seems sometimes, but, um, but yeah, so we, we grew apart a little bit, but, you know, we've kind of come back to center actually just as all of us have been graduating from college and, um, you know, I'm 28, I just turned 28 on May 7th. So just a few days ago and my sister is 26. My, my brother now is 22 and yeah, he's, you know, we're, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, he's 22. So wow, that's just, how many year difference, six year difference. There we go. But we've all kind of come back together, which is really interesting too. And I think that's, you know, just a testament to, I think family, I mean, family's always really mattered a lot to me and it does require, you know, effort and upkeep, especially as now we're all moving out of home and, you know, my family's back in Chicago. I'm out here in Los Angeles and my sister is actually out here in Los Angeles. So that's been something that, you know, has really been a grounding thing for me. I, I don't really have, like, I, I'm super privileged to say that, you know, my family was one of the most supportive um, environments, they're always were pushing me to invest more in kind of what I took interest to. And really, you know, really the dynamic was pretty healthy overall. And I think as I've gotten older, I've learned to just appreciate that so much more because that's not a privilege that everyone has. So yeah, it's yeah. not really. And, um, you know, it's interesting and in kind of, uh, hearing the stories that I hear on this podcast, I've been kind of getting some clarity that, there's usually, and this is generalizing, but it's it's usually one of two stories. You know, one yeah. that is very loving and supportive, and one is um, a little uh, more 
chaotic for whatever reason. I mean, it doesn't mean there's not love and good intentions in both, but, you know, one seems a little more supportive and, and, and stable maybe, and, and, you know, loving uh, being a theme that I hear. And, and that oftentimes creates a path for young people and as adults, especially young adults, especially that, you know, is a little bit smoother, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. courageous, adventurous, free, yes. right? Yeah. The other takes a lot more kind of twists and turns. And, you know, from my experience, neither one of them is necessarily like the, um, you know, silver bullet to everything being no. easy and great, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, life is life. Challenging things are going to come up no matter what your childhood is and what your upbringing is. But, but um, you know, there is some kind of commonality and I'm starting to maybe hear that a little bit in your story as you describe that you've got this kind of, you know, what sounds like a, a fun, loving sibling, you know, hmm. relationships. Sure, there's, you know, the stuff that comes with that, but a lot of support from your parents. And, yeah. you know, before we kind of like you know, move on from that. I'm just curious, you know, if you could maybe speak to, you know, in hindsight, I mean, as you don't know what you don't know as a kid, you know, this mm-hmm. is just your life, but, you know, that support, you you mentioned having some real gratitude for that. You know, maybe you could just yeah. do a little bit more. I, I like to highlight the, the really, you know, the people that are in my mind, like doing it right, you know, that yeah. are, are really, yeah. you know, um, loving on their kids and supporting their kids. And, you know, you, you talked a little bit yeah. about how you had an interest in science and your parents had an interest in, in your career and what you were going to do. Yes. Yet, you know, there was a lot of support there for your interests. So maybe you could just speak a little bit to the kind of support that you you got at that age. Yeah, I mean, I think they're not really sure even for them, like where all of that came from necessarily because but I think you know both of them came from very and you know families that were really close-knit and so they that's a super charismatic guy and I, I've noticed that with even his friendships and that's something I've really admired with with just looking at him and how he maintains his relationship still you know he has an email chain with his he, he played baseball he played baseball at Northwestern and one of the things that you know came out of that was five best friends and it's like a little crew of them and I see every single day that they're emailing each other back and forth. And I just can't, I'm like, do you literally talk to them every single day? He's like, yeah, without fail, one one of them is going to, you know, message in the group and, and we're going to chat about what's going on in their life. And it's interesting because my mom is definitely not quite as much like that. She definitely has, you know, she's focused 100% of her energy on her kids, which is something that like, if, you know, when you think about the sacrifice and dedication that that requires, it's really crazy to me to see some, some mothers who, um, take on that full burden of like raising their family. And my dad was traveling a lot for work. He was always, you know, he was always like running around across the country, across the world for, for meetings and oftentimes wasn't there during, let's say like the weekdays. And um, so my mom really did take on that burden fully herself and she loves it. I mean, she's like, you know, she's super close to us and, and one of the most kind of selfless people in that manner. But I'm also like, I, it's interesting because that, you know, I'm, I think, for me, there's certain aspects that I take from my upbringing, like definitely um, just the desire to keep in touch with people and the desire to like have really meaningful, meaningful connection with, with people who you've crossed paths with in your life. Like I 
definitely hold on to, to, to the people that I care most about. And, and I think that that's something I definitely get from my dad. There is a certain like, you know, generosity and, and selflessness that, you know, I saw my mom and there's definitely, I think, types of people who would take advantage of that, I think, as, as, as kids and grow up to be maybe expecting, <laughs> expecting a little bit of that, you know, uh, ongoing. But I think for me, it's at least like taken on almost the, that same spirit. Like I love, I love, yeah, I love hosting. I love, you know, there's, there's a lot of aspects of, of what she kind of taught me that I think have brought really positive qualities that I see in myself coming from, coming from her as well. But yeah, I think shout out, you know, shout out, you're totally right. Like shout out to the people who are doing it right. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not about like stifling your kids and it's not about trying to control what they can and can't do. It's really about enabling in a lot of ways. And I think that that's my, what my parents really did a great job at. They were enablers and they, you know, I was never really, yeah, I was never, I was never turned off from exploring something that maybe didn't align with their own goals and interests. I know my dad like really wanted me to go into, you know, more of the business and consulting world as, as I got older, that was really where he was pushing me. But both of them just wanted to see me love what I do. And I think that was the most important thing to them is like, we just, we want you to be happy on to love what you do. And so that was, uh, that was kind of how they, I think, centered also the way that they invested in, in certain hobbies for us growing up, like, like the science and, and kind of push, push us a little bit further, each of us really. Well, it's interesting, you know, we can kind of touch on this as we move through your story, because you, you end up in business, right? But, you know, yeah. you come at it yeah. from, a, from a different perspective. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the science part and just maybe yeah. speak to like, what was it? Do you, can, you, can you like put a finger on like, what was it when you, when you think about science and you, you certainly, you know, were inspired by, um, you know, the Al Gore documentary and, and, you know, I think that was a wake up call for a lot of people. I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more. I'm actually kind of fascinated with that. It's, it's, you know, pretty amazing that, you know, you, um, end up, um, you know, th- those are the sparks, right? And and sometimes yeah. that's how it happens. And depending on what you believe, you know, there's kind of a woo-woo, you know, belief around that, which I hold, which is that like, those things aren't just like coincidental, that they're like brought into the world to really inspire and move and call. It's a, it's a calling of sorts. Um, but maybe you could yeah. just speak to kind of how science came into your life as a calling and maybe a little bit more about, you know, that, that moment when you, when you saw the documentary. Yeah. I think, you know, it was the sense of urgency and responsibility, but also a little bit, I think it was like a sense of urgency, responsibility, and simply a sense of, sense of privilege, honestly, that, you know, I had grown up in, in this, I think I, I just saw, I definitely saw a lot of wealth growing up and I saw a lot of um, excess growing up. And so, you know, looking at a documentary like the like an inconvenient truth and seeing how um, not only our climate was being affected, I think by the way that we are leading our lifestyles as humans, like as a human race, you know, but on top of that, it was how that was affecting other people in other parts of the world and, and maybe in places where you know we didn't have direct contact or communication or you know a, we didn't have that I think most people don't have that sense of like responsibility to the collective in, in, a, in a way. And I really felt that deeply. Like I felt, I felt a sense of empathy and, and wanting to just make sure that, you know, we all could live, we could all support each one another's like livelihoods 
basically by being the most responsible responsible human as we as we could i don't know that's i mean that's kind of a weird way of putting it but i guess the you know communicating climate science to the general public to me was a way that hopefully we could instill a little bit more hopefully we could speed up the process really of people waking up to the fact that we are all connected by you know the, the home we share and also by one another and like the suffering in the world is something that i think some of us really do feel whether it's looking at the news and, and whatnot and i don't know if that's you know, a specific trait that some people have or just something that we all need to work on accessing a little bit better. But we're all connected in, in a sense. And I, I definitely felt like, you know, the best, highest use of my time and and interest and passion and, and like what I wanted to dedicate that to would really be just finding a way to, to help people live, kind of live in light of, of yeah, live in light of, I guess, like the, the kind of pending climate crisis that we that we were already starting to see like the clear signs of. And, and I'm just curious, that kind of sense of responsibility and connectedness and, and you know, care for something outside of yourself, the, the mm-hmm. home that we share, the, the, you know, the collective suffering, you know, do you think that is something that was um, inside of you? You mentioned maybe it's inside of all of us. You know, was that fostered in your environment? You know, where was the kind of like first sense of that? And do you have any sense as to where it was coming from? Mm. Is it just who you are? Yeah, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely like a little bit. I think each of us kind of has maybe a predisposition somewhat to uh, kind of leading on that more emotional, empathetic, like feeler. I mean, we have the, you know, we have the, the ENFJs and all of those Myers Briggs personalities, like being a, being someone who is like very um, healing, is I don't think that's something that comes necessarily natural to everyone. But I do believe that you know when you think when you really sit with something long enough, like you can start to develop some of those same, um, I guess, the same like depth in in feeling of, of responsibility. Let's say like when we really dive into a news article. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I would love to hear your perspective. I do feel like some of us are predisposed to it, but I also feel like with all that we're exposed to now with the news and the access to information, like, you know, you can kind of tune that out easily. Um, or you can also, I think even as someone who maybe isn't, isn't naturally like kind of a, the most empathetic or, or, or feeling personality, like there's no, you know, there's no way that we can, most of us can, and read some of the news articles that come out about just what's happening in the world and, and not feel some sort of sense of like wanting to help or wanting to, re, you know, lend a hand to um, those in, in crisis. So I think it's, it, it kind of is a mix of things. I would love mm-hmm. to hear your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an, it's a very complex um, thing, which, which I don't, have any, I don't really know what the answer is. Maybe yeah. none of us do really, you know, if we're being honest, but my, my sense is, is that we're all kind of born into this kind of purity that would be a loving energy that would be kind and empathetic mm. and, you know, care about the collective and want for our, you know, species and, and, and every aspect of, of life, yeah. you know, to be, treated fairly and lovingly and safely yeah. and, you know, and, and with, with, with health and, you know, all the things that like, why wouldn't we do, do you do, do, I have a hard time believing that anything else would be, 
you know, kind of um, brought into this world. Like why, you know, and yeah. unless it was you know, maybe there for us, you know, to learn, which sometimes, you know, I think might be true too. Um, mostly what I think happens is that it's, it's, you know, this is, this is exactly why I like to kind of talk about the very early parts of people's mm-hmm. lives, right? Because mostly I think what happens is along the way, uh, you get different conditioning and you have different mm-hmm. experiences and those start to get embodied and maybe take you yeah. away from that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in some cases, you know, they're, they're tragic, they're traumatic, you know, they might really take on a, a whole worldview, a way of being, you know, that, that is maybe not your essence. And, um, and, and maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's not true. Maybe people are just who they are and they're, you know, making, they have choice and, and they're choosing to live a certain way that feels um, mm-hmm. within alignment for them. And, and, and maybe I'm just, you know, wishful thinking, <laughs> you know, but I, yeah. I truly, you know, I really do just honestly hold the belief that, you know, we're all born that way and then life mm-hmm. happens and it's, you know, maybe part of our journey to um, really come back to that. And, um, you know, sometimes that happens sooner rather than later. And sometimes maybe it never happens, but that's my belief. Yeah. I think, you know, some of the, some of the traits that I took out of my upbringing definitely were a lot of trust in, in people, a lot of, like, in a lot of faith in people. I think I'm a very hopeful and, and kind of positive leaning person. So, um, you know, it can be, there, there are so many events that happen in life that can bring a person down. And I've, you know, I've seen, seen a lot of that just in, in peers and whatnot, like people who've survived really great like traumas that I could only imagine, you know, having to, having to go through. And I've, I've seen them come out and, and be stronger because of it a lot of the time. So, you know, I still, and I mean, it's not everyone, like I mean, there are different responses, of course, to every sort of triggering event, but I do think that um, we're such a resilient creature like we've got so much um you know we, we've learned to adapt to so many changes in our environment and um obviously with technology and and we really are you know we are really a, a resilient kind of a resilient force so it is it is interesting just to see how you know how those traumas have sometimes like honestly brought out really good qualities in people and yes. um kind of builds up that resilience a little more too so i definitely have definitely have hope that everyone has the potential to rebound and, and hopefully take, take a silver lining from, mm-hmm. from something and, and, and find support elsewhere too. Like I think there's a lot with my family that I'm so lucky to have that supportive environment, but I have a lot of friends who don't have one of their parents or, or maybe are not close with either of their parents or have been kind of like distanced from them. And, you know, I've seen them really take their friendships as that, that supportive kind of family dynamic. and really hold on to that. And I, that's been something that, you know, I definitely, um, take the heart to is just family comes in so many forms, supportive relationships come in so many forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be romantic. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, doesn't have to be necessarily from your family either. And I think as humans, like we're all, we are a generous kind of, we're, we are generous and we are by nature, like attracted to community and community can take so many different forms too. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I want to. Um, I'm curious about the summit community, but I, I'm going to hold that thought yeah. for a minute and and just take me through, 
you know, your kind of next steps. So the science yeah. comes in, the interest, the doc, you know, um, then what is that? Do you go off to college to study? Um, what? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, I definitely. So I knew that it was, you know, focused on climate. I went to University of Southern California to study environmental science and um, I ended up being able to get a full ride scholarship there, which was really um, how I and I was. I was kind of looking at University of Miami. They have a great marine biology program, and I thought marine biology might be um, kind of a more interesting facet, like ocean ocean health. And um, and ended up at USC mainly, mainly I think because of that that the scholarship opportunity and um, and some of the like perks that just came with building that kind of that community of of scholars at USC and um, lived in kind of the dorm where it was, it was almost like the, the students that, um, that had received like some sort of financial aid or um, they all, we all lived in basically one dorm. So it was really interesting just because it was an environment that people were there to focus on their studies in a lot of ways. Like these were people who, you know, came to USC with a specific, a specific interest in, um, in any type of field. So I was surrounded by people who were, maybe they were business majors, but they had already launched and, and kind of started working on a business during their time at school. And I was around other science and engineering majors um, and just like a lot of really diverse thinkers. So it was a really cool environment to be in, at least I, my kind of first year at college. And, um, you know, I actually, it was interesting because I, I did dive into my coursework for the first about two years of college. I was like, fully focused on that. I did the max amount of credits I could do. Like I, I'm sounding like such a like goody two shoes, you know, but I really loved, I loved academics. Like that was just something I was so passionate about always. Even in high school, like I remember, you know, my friends couldn't imagine that I loved reading or studying <laughs> as much as I did. So I was kind of weird in that way, but, um, but definitely, you know, going through college, it was the same thing. Like I just loved, I loved my studies. I always took on as many classes as I could. Let me just ask you, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just curious on that point. So was that a love of learning? Was that a passion for the subject? Was that some sort of like desire to excel and, you know, be perform? You know, what, what was that love of the work? Um, You know, tell me a little more about that. I guess it makes up all three of what you just mentioned. I think you Mm -hmm. put that in, in such a great, you, you put that in such a great way because I definitely, um, it is, there is like some, some level of it is just being, trying to be an achiever and perform. And I think a lot of the ways that I judge myself and grade myself is based on, it was based on some of those external grades you would receive in school. And for me, that was like a, that was a place where I put a lot of self-worth was on my ability to perform in, in those subjects and get good grades and, and whatever else. But the other side of it was definitely, I mean, I think I was more driven, honestly, by just a love for learning. Like I did, I did really enjoy most of my classes. I think the only ones I didn't love necessarily were maybe like history and writing or <laughs> some of, you know, things. I think we all have different ways that we, um, I loved math. I loved science. Like those were, those were kind of really the fields that I always felt myself like sticking the most to. But, you know, I think that that kind of carries on today because honestly, like a lot of the ways that I ju- judge myself worth is, what am I, what am I, what am I achieving with my career? And like, how much am I learning every day in my career? Like how much am I pushing myself and feeling like I am advancing 
in a sense. So like moving forward for me has always had, had to be kind of a, a theme and I'm definitely pretty hard on myself about, um, about just making sure that I feel like I'm, that I'm building towards success in some level. And it's not, it's actually not monetary for me. Like I think success to me is more, you know, it's, it's, it's defined by other factors and, and I want to live a comfortable life. Of course, who doesn't, but you know, for the most part, it's, it's definitely more focused on just like certain kind of certain places where you see like, okay, I'm, I'm building something that has recognition. I think it's recognition. Mm -hmm. I was looking for the word. I was like, what is it? Mm -hmm. But you know, whether it was grades and now in, in career, it is kind of goes back. I don't really know why that's so important to me because my parents gave me a lot of recognition. So Mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, that's something you would seek out if you, if you weren't getting that from other places. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's really been kind of a main driving force for me. Yeah. And, and I don't think that's necessarily true. You know, I'm, um, uh, I'm not qualified to actually try to make these diagnoses, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just a I, by the way. hack therapist, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but um, <laughs> it, it, with, with no credentials. But I, uh, <laughs> I do find uh, that you know that that sometimes recognition and and validation in the kind of like yeah. material sense and, and not necessarily monetary, but you know, maybe it's you know, accolades, or maybe it's just, um, compliments or, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, something that's coming from an outward, you know, acknowledgement really, I think in, in my case, at least can often just mean like what we're doing matters. It's having an impact. It's meaning something to somebody else. And, and that is nice to know. It's good to get the feedback. Like, Hey, you know, like this is not a waste of time. Right. This is actually yeah. what I'm doing is being recognized by other people, which means and, and I mean the recognition can come in all different ways, right? And but but you yeah. know, you know kind of like intuitively if it's the kind that you're looking for, which you know, I'm guessing in your yeah. case and in mine mm-hmm. is about impact. It's about you know, making a difference in, in other people's lives or in the community that you're in or in the world, you know, as a whole. Yeah. Um, and it's just good to know, like, okay, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I'm on the right path. I want to keep doing this. Um, and, and I don't know if that's true for you, but, you know, that's kind of what I'm assuming based on what you've said so far. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like, I definitely think for at least the first few years even out of college, like I was seeking a lot of that, that sense like some external sense that this was the right path, right? Because you get a lot of that when you're when you're in school. You get a lot of that just from like the way that we set up our grading system and whatnot. Honestly, like I I kind of wish that we could change things a little bit in that respect because I feel like there is a certain level of like mischievousness that leads to. I mean, I I know a lot of the, the people in at least the entrepreneurship realm grew up like having terrible grades, C's, straight C's never went to college. Like it's really cool because you see kind of how a little bit of mischievous really does go a long way. And and you see people who like truly never lived by the rules and never were worried about authority and never were worried about achievement by, you know, typical standards. And they've gone out to do such amazing things. So I think it's like a balance of both. I think I leaned so far on the other side, but I still have this like innate curiosity, which has allowed me to jump into more of an entrepreneurial field and like feel comfortable building in the unknown 
you know, because it's, it is a curious and it's a learning process for me. And there are, there are, like you said, still external kind of points of validation um, that, you know, you get along the way, whether it's like acceptance into, you know, a big retailer that you, you know, dreamed of landing. Like those are things that are kind of signs of like, oh, you're building a product that people are recognizing is, is desired in the world or, or in stuff like that. So, I mean, that's, I think that's a really, that's a really cool aspect of like how those different personalities can come into play. Like I might always be fighting to get that, that external recognition and validation, but I, I do hope that one day you kind of just let, let go of that. And I do feel like slowly as I've gotten older, I'm letting go of the, the desire to please people externally and kind of tuning in a little bit more to asking the question of like, what really makes me happy? Am I building? Because you, know, you start to realize you're like, I'm, I'm 28, I'm so young, but you start to realize that like your daily, I guess like the daily things that you're, you're kind of doing, your activities, there's never an end. Like, you're, you know, you don't just graduate from, from like you graduate from college, you don't just graduate from these different like kind of buckets of your life. You're, everything that I'm doing now is building towards a lifestyle. So it's like, am I building towards a lifestyle that I actually want to live? Or am I still like chasing after something that, you know, doesn't necessarily make me internally happy, but maybe is like externally a marker of success. So it's just like, that's a, you know, that's something I think all of us have to, at some point or another, you start to kind of feel that it becomes an important and relevant conversation. I don't think it ever was necessarily before, but maybe in the past year has become something that I've really been tuning into more. And I think through that question of like, what is really going to make me personally happy? What's the life I want to live and, and lead? Um, it's helped me to kind of shed some of the seeking outside approval in, in that sense. Um, but, you know, it was really interesting because even in college, I, you know, even going through my studies at, at USC, I was definitely focused on my environmental studies, you know, for the first two years. And I kind of alluded to this, but like when I um, was moving into really my junior, senior year, I started realizing actually really what, what happened was I was looking, I had been living on Catalina Islands because they had a marine research um, center there. And I started talking to all the grad students that were stationed on Catalina Island. They were working in the labs and I was asking them, like, what are you researching? Like, what are you working on? And kind of had been wanting to explore, like, what would a graduate program look like for me? Because I knew in order to really dive into this science field, you had to kind of get your, your at least your, you know, your master's and potentially your PhD. Um, but I was asking them, like, what they were studying. And a lot of them were studying, like, I remember someone was studying, like, marine worms. I was like, oh my goodness, like who's ever going to read this research report on marine worms? And I just, I, I kind of felt like I was going to have a very minimal impact working in this field. Like I started just having this idea of, hey, well, what if I meld my passion for science into more like advocacy and activism and public policy? Um, and it was kind of uh, compounded by the fact that my professor, who was the department head for environmental studies, like really sat me down and was like, you know, I think given your personality traits and what, what, like, he's like, what I see you doing is not worth. He really told me, he's like, I don't see you working in the lab. You know, he's like, I think that you won't be happy there. I think that you need to think about how, you know, maybe you can take a more like people oriented approach to, to what you're trying to do. And I think like, thank goodness that I think he gave me that again, validation that my kind of concerns were, were probably right on point and that I might not be happy working in a lab because I started doing public policy classes. I took a minor in urban policy and planning and that actually led me to social entrepreneurship, uh, which is what I ended up, of course, kind of pursuing from a career perspective. And it was really a curiosity that um, kind of drove me there. 
Yeah, you know, I think that curiosity, you've, you, you spoke about it, and in, in, I think you said even like, you know, being mischievous. It's a very uh, interesting thing to me because I really see that. I, I did go to college and graduated from college, but I also was a C student and, um, you know, very mm-hmm. mischievous and, you know, for a lot of reasons. But I see it even in some of my kids' friends who are very smart and very high achieving and also mischievous. And, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I think that like it, uh, what we don't do is know how in and, and the educational system, and, mm-hmm. and this is maybe, you know, generalizing because there's amazing teachers out there like the one that you, you know, just shared, but, but there's not enough of that. There's not enough of recognizing mm-hmm. like who's the individual, you know, and, and maybe how yeah. can we, teach them or guide them or coach them or support them in and using who they naturally are to create and be, you know, that in a productive way. You know, usually yeah. what happens in the educational system is it's like you kind of get put in a box and there's a certain, you know, uh, boundary in which you need to, you know, study or focus or behave and, yeah. you know, we see things as like good or bad based on how you're doing within that box. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love to hear that story about your teacher because what it sounds like he or she did was just see you and really mm-hmm. um, then um, affirm you and, and, and give you kind of the confidence to pursue what you had maybe, yeah. you know, been feeling but weren't sure of. And, and, and usually when you're not sure and you're young, and depending on that kind of security that you have, that inner security, which, you know, it sounds like you had enough of, you know, going back to maybe your childhood, you you may or may not, you know, kind of pursue what you think you sh- you you want to. And, and, and yeah. if you don't, you usually pursue what you think you're supposed to, right? Yes. Yeah. That's a and, great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but um, tell me a little bit about then, okay, so this kind of social entrepreneurship comes in and you've got this support, um, you know, coming in from a number of different ways. Uh, so, so what happens? You, you, do you go yeah. right into your current business or are there a number of uh, kind of entrepreneurial attempts, you know, before? Yeah, I think it's interesting because like I definitely was um, like kind of a weird experimenter growing up with with a lot of um, career oriented and things. Like I always, always, always had some sort of extracurricular focus. Like I, and you know, I was lucky because I think I asked my parents, I was like, can I go, can I do this like abroad program? Basically like, and basically every summer after sophomore year of high school, I would do these summer programs where it was like, just exploring some interest area. And it was kind of of my choosing. So I definitely, you know, even, even traveling, traveling abroad at, at a couple points like during my high school journey, which I think a lot of a lot of kids don't necessarily get a chance to do that. So when I went to college and when I was going through kind of these questions about my career, I also took advantage of the opportunity to go abroad and, you know, study a few different interest areas that would still kind of correspond to some of my environmental studies coursework. So um, I remember like basically having to sit down with uh, the academic chair for, you know, the School of Sciences at USC. And I was just like, hey, you know, I, I, I kind of am having this feeling that I want to, I just basically gave an explanation. Like I want to meld kind of climate science with communicating to the, like, the general public, either through, through advocacy, through policy, 
I wasn't really sure what it was yet. And, and they were really supportive of that, luckily, and actually allowed me to swap out some of my environmental studies course credits for other classes that maybe didn't even have any relevance. So I remember like taking a few entrepreneurship classes that, you know, they were like, well, as long as you focus kind of your, your projects on something that's like sustainability related, then we'll, we'll let you like swap that out for, for credits towards your major. So I got like, I got to kind of, you know, pick and choose a few classes that maybe weren't necessarily like on this strictly like environmental science path so that I could still graduate with my degree in, in, in environmental science. But really the social entrepreneurship was so interesting was, you know, there was a, it really was a light bulb moment. I was working in a nonprofit class that was offered through that minor. And it was, you know, because I thought that it was potentially that I wanted to go into nonprofit work. And one of the things that we had to do was get actually an internship in the community at a nonprofit. It would be unpaid, but it would go towards your course credit. And so I was working at an urban garden that was attached to an elementary school. And it was a Title I school where kids were on primarily the free breakfast, free lunch program. And I started noticing like kids were coming to class eating Twinkies and Cheetos and at school lunch, pizza sauce and French fries counted as your daily vegetable. And it was the same time that you know, kids were coming into the garden and they were seeing a fresh carrot or fresh tomato for the first time. And these are elementary school kids. They're pretty young. But to me, that was just like, oh my goodness, like what are we feeding our kids? Like at lunch, they're, they're not even seeing what, like they're not even seeing vegetables kind of in, in true form. And they're relying on their schools for two of their meals of the day. So I was really blown away by that. I wanted to figure out like how we could, it was kind of just more of like access to healthy food. I was like, this is just really wrong. I think that, you know, especially when we drive through certain communities in South Los Angeles, it's like there's a lack of grocery stores, there's a lack of fresh food available or healthy food available. And it leads to so many community health issues that really set communities back. And I also noticed in the schools, like kids were having trouble focusing. And there were a ton of things that like we would talk about as teachers in the garden specifically, which was like a nonprofit program that really was operating out of the school um, as part of their curriculum. But the teachers would talk about that too. Like, how do we, how do we hopefully like, we were even talking about like, how do we bridge the fresh food from the garden and, and kind of bring it into some of the school meals? That wasn't really possible given the meal contracts that the school district had. So anyways, food became an obsession. You know, it was like really the connection between healthy people, healthy environment, and, and really how that all kind of connected through the similar thread of food. Um, and then I was at a friend's house, saw her juice and carrot the same semester. And I was like, okay, you know, here we have the issue of a lack of access to healthy food. And over here, you know, I have a friend who drove miles to go get organic carrots, is juicing them and has more than half of the vegetable that's going to waste and doesn't know what to do with it and just throws it away. So, you know, it was actually kind of a, a connection between those two issues. And given my background in environmental science, which helped me when she was juicing the carrot, I actually took notice. I was like, that's a lot of waste. And I was like, what are you going to do with that? Like, I couldn't believe that she was going to throw it away in the trash. And then on the other side, seeing kind of a lack of access. And I think that's kind of where we see like how so many of the, the different choices and kind of the path that our life has taken gives us a unique eye to just notice problems in the world and notice like things that maybe other people would quickly glance over or not really, not really take like a true awareness to given each of our unique paths and our unique perspective and our unique experiences. And I think each of us does have this like different type of way we're observing the world. And, and so for me, that was something that, you know, observing that issue or both of those issues was why I wanted to 
um, build what is now Pulp Pantry or my business, which really is kind of that connection of where are really nutritious resources going to waste and how can we use those nutritious resources to make it easier for people to eat healthy, eat their fruits, vegetables, and fiber. And I really believe that like those two things need to happen together, especially as you know, we're in this rapidly growing population. Like we have to see nine to 10 billion people by 2050 uh, or 2025 really. And, 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 and we're, we're already at a calorie deficit and in terms of like how we can see that growing population, seeing that growing population. So that for me is like, how do we build a more sustainable food system has kind of become the culmination, I think, of all of those, those kinds of events and, and explorations, if you will, um, as I was going through my studies. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's fun for me to kind of listen to, you know, how the different threads, you know, kind of get woven together into where you are today, you know, to kind of hear your whole story. I mean, it's pretty great to kind of now know how you've, um, you know, again, woven all of that together into Pulp Pantry. Um, And so, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of well, we'll tell the listener more about Pulp Pantry because I know you're on Thrive, but otherwise you're mostly West Coast today, I think, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. so talk a little bit about the products and, um, you know, maybe a little bit more about kind of the entrepreneurial journey that you've had with it and, and maybe, I don't know, ups and downs and, and, and where you're headed. Yeah. I mean, you know, today Pulp Pantry will always be a, I will say like a, platform for new innovations that bring fruits, vegetables, and fiber to every category of the grocery store. So we started with veggie chips and uh, really what we're focused on there is looking at areas where nutritious resources are kind of unclaimed. Like, you know, we look at the cold press juicing industry and we work with essentially national juice chains that have centralized like facility that they're processing all their organic fruits and vegetables but they have all the byproducts, the fiber that normally, you know, they're trying to find some composting contracts for or giving it to animal feed. But it's just highly nutritious stuff that I think could go to better use feeding humanity. So we work with them directly to make sure that those resources are going to good use and that um, we're also bringing healthier versions of, I think, the staples that so many Americans rely on. In our case, it was looking at the veggie chip or chip category and being like, how could we reinvent what's typically starch and grain based and turn it, turn, make a crunchy, delicious snack that would resonate with kids, especially made from vegetables. So, you know, it's been an exciting like first product to bring to market, but like you said, it's, it's been primarily West Coast focused and we really are focused on building um, strength in the LA SoCal market before expanding out. Um, but currently we're, we're available pretty much across the West Coast in Target as well as in Whole Foods in Southern California. But you know, I would say in terms of where where the business is headed, it's it's starting with this product line, but it's looking at other categories in the grocery store where we really could do better for consumers and for more sustainable options. And I think it's a mix of both, whether it's through packaging innovation, like bringing compostable packaging to the market. We're uh, working on a solution for that right now. And it's just really thinking about the full life cycle of our food, not only where it comes from, and how many and kind of the resources that we're extracting in order to feed the population, but it's also the end of life cycle, right? And where does our packaging go? Where does the trash go? How do we fight food waste at in in consumer homes? Like being a brand that I think can really be a go-to for pushing the whole industry forward when it comes to 
more sustainable food options for all, truly for all and, and making it more accessible and not making it something that's out of reach or only available in the, in the, the nice neighborhoods in town, but it's like making products that will really will speak to the broader base of American consumers. Mm, yeah, great. I love it. Well, it's really a great way to kind of land. I think, you know, you've mm-hmm. um, really followed this kind of internal passion that you've had for science and for making a difference in the world and, um, you know, for the collective the, the healthy food, I think, you know, people are learning more and more about and just the importance. I mean, mm-hmm. there's certainly been um, kind of an onslaught of documentaries about that, right? And, yeah. and just the importance of kind of what it does for our earth and um, also what it does for our health uh, mentally and mm-hmm. physically. And so it sounds to me like you've really used, you know, all of your experience to land on something that makes a lot of sense and is really um, a great way to spend your time and and a great um, you know also you know not something that can be quite profitable and you know that you can have yeah. a lot of success with um, which is which is which is important because you know people mm-hmm. like you are going to do good with with um, profit you know and so I'm a big believer in, in, you know, conscious capitalism and really, yeah. um, you know, kind of yeah. using our skills to create in a way that does create good capital that can get, you know, put back into the system to create more um, great outcomes and products. So that's what you're doing. And, and that's terrific. And before we wrap up, just tell me, cause we have um, summit in common and I know that you, yeah. um, you know, spoke to the importance of community, and that's uh, a pretty uh, yeah. phenomenal community. One that I've been engaged with since um, uh, 2009, I think, was my first summit wow. event. So, um, I'd love to hear your experience with Summit. Yeah, I, I'm um, a part of the fellows, so it's a group of Summit fellows, and essentially they're all um, building some sort of impact or you know change in the world, whether that's through a nonprofit discipline, through entrepreneurship, there's you know there's a lot of different ways that people approach and different different problems that um, these individuals are tackling. And I think for me, that's been such a supportive and inspiring community to be a part of. I mean, I I derive you know not only friendship but also definitely inspiration from the people that I've met at Summit at large too. And I think sometimes having those closer knit you know, built-in programs, for example, Summit Fellowship. I mean, that has been something where, you know, it's it's a lot of time that you get to spend with with these people and, and kind of really diving into what everyone's building. And, and I think it's amazing to talk about ideas and it's amazing to talk about um, the businesses that we're all building or the nonprofits that we're all building because it does connect so deeply to someone's like core purpose in life. And I think when you you know, bring those things to the surface and, and you're able to talk about, you know, the things you're most passionate about in the context of whether it's Summit, which is, you know, largely focused on those kinds of meaningful connections and conversations. It's just really cool because, you, you know, you do leave feeling so much energy and yeah, an inspiration to go forward. And I definitely keep in touch with all of the, the friendships that I've made from Summit. I have people to visit all around the world now, you know, and I know I'll always have a, a bed to stay in or uh, couch to sleep on, and it's really exciting to just think about like kind of the, the the I guess the possibilities of building alongside people who 
really align with, I think, those those core values and the want to like give back to their communities or to a cause that they care about too. So um, that's just been something that I've really derived a ton of of support from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Me too. It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, we've had um, Jordan Davis, who's a fellow um, oh, as yes. well, and we're about to um, have a, awesome. a whole another group of fellows on the podcast. And Summit series it. for me has been a kind of continued thread of inspiration and, and community. And um, you know, yeah. from the very beginning, my first exposure to Summit was a bit of a aha for me about just what was possible. Yeah. So. Um, it's wonderful that you've had such good experience and I appreciate you taking the time to share your Definitely. story with me today. Any final thoughts on um, to share with the audience? We'll, we'll make sure to kind of post links and where to find you and all that kind of fun stuff. But any yeah. other final thoughts to share with the audience? Well, just thanks for listening. And I um, definitely appreciate the conversation. It's a good way to spend your, your, your Monday morning. Um, and I love you know, I love kind of thinking, I love the themes that you're talking about, just thinking back to how each of us kind of came to be who we are today. Um, and it's a constant process of evolution, but there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. So thank you for spending some time with me this morning. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman on Twitter at bkaufman125 and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for The Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.